Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. Our mission as a church is very simple, really. It's to follow what Jesus said. And Jesus said to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, so our mission, the very core of why we exist, is to see men and women flourish in God as they live in London. It's to see men and women grow strong in God as they do life, whether they're studying or working or raising children or grandparents here in London, that we might bless London and the nations with an awareness of the glory of the Lord and who he is. That's our mission. The thing is, London itself is not very sympathetic to our mission. There aren't many bosses, companies, workplaces, friends, neighbours, who actually, when you say, I'd really like to open the Bible, and London, you will find, as you know, is not very sympathetic. Maybe if you talk about emotional and spiritual health, like your boss might wake up, like I've got to pay attention to this. But as soon as you say, I'm a Christian, and you open your Bible, this is what I mean by spiritual flourishing. Not so much. London has the ability, I think, because of the pressure, the hours that are expected, the, the, the demand, just so much going on. It has the ability to slowly uh, press our spiritual life down. And if we're not careful, there is, there, there is a, a life in us that will slowly start to ebb away because of the, the pressure of London life. And some of you know what this is like that you want to live as a Christian, but you feel like you're battling against this cult that is just pressing hard against every which way you turn. It feels like I want to do better in God. But my conviction is, our conviction is that actually London, rather than being a place that can, is a place where it just squashes your spiritual life, like, oh, as long as we get out of London, then I'll do well in God. Actually, London could very well be the place where strong Christians are actually made. Diamonds are made under pressure. Is it possible that actually if we can forge a life with God in London, that we as Trinity Church could arise with strong disciples of Jesus, with a very clear vision and a strong resolve in our hearts, who will actually flourish anywhere that we go. So that anywhere Jesus calls us, what you find is that Trinitarians, they're strong in God. Why? Because the soil of London and having to resolve in our hearts with a clear vision of what it is to follow Jesus in that place meant that we were turned into diamonds and that there was something of strength and beauty in us that could bless anywhere that we go. And so we need, I think, a very clear vision, a clearer vision for our own lives and what we want for our discipleship with Jesus to be stronger than the vision that your boss and your workplace and the demands of London have for your life, because London has a vision for your life. And we need a resolve in our hearts that is stronger than the resolve and the campaigns of London to push that to one side that will say, no, this is where I am going. So the question for you and me is we just do our life here in London with Jesus is who are we going to become? What kind of disciples are we going to become? And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the, the priorities of what we think it is to follow Jesus. And these, we haven't made these up. This isn't like Trinitarians, like distinctive. This is just what we've, as we read the Bible, four of the key priorities for Christ. And the first thing is that we abide in God and in his presence. 
The second is that we serve his church, what he is doing in the community. The third is that we work for the good of London wherever we find ourselves. And the fourth is that we are inviting others back to know this God. And so what I want to do today is just talk about what it is for us to abide in God. There's only language from John 15 where Jesus teaches us, like this is, this is what it is to be formed and to grow. And Jesus, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you stay connected with me. You remain in me, in the life force of Jesus, and you will flourish as a Christian, even in a place like London. And the one thing I want to pick up today is just one little verse from verse 9 in John 15, where Jesus says this, if you're going to abide and therefore bear fruit in your life, what you have to do is abide in his love. He says this in 15 verse 9. As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus talking, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in God's love. This is how we are going to do well in God. If you're like me, when I read that first off, I, I, I tend to think, okay, abide in God's love. That sounds like a nice kind of thing to do when you're on holiday. Like it's, if you're on the beach, no, no work pressures, you've got a cocktail there, you're reading a book. I'm just going to abide in God. I'm just going to remember God's love. I'm just going to, like, it has this like holiday <laughs> vibe to it. And if you're like a Londoner, you're thinking, I haven't got time to abide in God's love. I've got things to do. Like, I haven't got, I'm squeezing two minutes out of here, there and everywhere. And now you're saying the key to flourishing in life is to abide in God's love. Like, when do I? So what we need to do is understand what this actually means to, uh, to abide in his love, which is why we get to Jude that Didi read for us. Because Jude talks about abiding or remaining or keeping ourselves in the love of God, but it's not a holiday context that Jude writes this in. When Jude writes, he's writing to a culture that is set against Christianity and doesn't want people to do well in the faithful witness of Jesus Christ. And so he writes to them, telling them at the very beginning of this very short letter that they need to contend or fight for their own discipleship in Jesus. So he says this in, in verse three, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about coming, the coming salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend. And this word contend is the same word that's used for wrestling or fighting. This is not like a holiday word. This is, you're in the middle of a difficult context and you need to find some resolve to fight for something. He says, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And then Jude lays out the context that these Christians were living in. Let me, I won't, I'm not going to read the whole letter, but let me just read some of the stuff that he references so that you understand this isn't like a nice thing on a holiday. This is actually for a war. The context that he's talking about is where there are ungodly people, people perverting the grace of God, people denying Jesus, a place of destruction, eternal chains, gloomy darkness, judgment, sexual immorality, the defiling of the flesh, rejecting authority, blasphemy. These aren't the kind of concepts that you dwell on on holiday. This is a place where there is a war on. And Jude says, you need to contend in this place. And so at the very end of this letter, the first thing that he actually tells us to do, and I think the very point of the whole of Jude, is this. He says, in this context, what you need to do, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. It's an, 
it's a slightly strange thing like you need to contest to remain in the love the favor the smile of God over your life this is the key for Jude for flourishing in a difficult context this is actually the one thing that we're told to do in Jude that relates to us there are two other commands to do other things to other people but for us due to main concern in this letter the one command is church keep yourself in the love of God I don't know if this has ever happened to you but it probably has nod if it has um, just nod if it hasn't anyway because I'll feel awkward but you know you have those moments where like you're texting someone or you've been emailing someone or you've been calling someone friend family member someone like that or someone at work and you leave that like conversation or text and then you're left with this like funny feeling that they're upset with you or like something's not quite right has anyone ever had that moment okay a few people and and sometimes like maybe someone you don't talk to that often or you're just kind of aware like the last few interactions have been strange is there something that's like off you know and you live with that and you have those moments and it like starts to play in your head and your heart and it starts to become this difficult thing of like oh what is going on with that you don't really talk about it you don't really go there but you know it's in the back of your mind anyone like nod at me and then has anyone ever had this experience of like maybe like a month two months three months it might be like a long time it might be a week you, and you actually get to talk to that person or call them on the phone or whatever it might be you actually get in the room with that person and you suddenly realize i was making it all up we're actually fine you've ever been in that place you're like why am i so stupid and insecure to think like all this time like there was something wrong and it was just me from an insecure place misreading cues between the lines and putting two and two together and making eight yeah you think ah, why do i do that i think some christians do that with god a lot of the time he's communicated a lot of truth to us glorious wonderful truth about who he is and yet we can kind of finish our devotional times finish our quiet times read the bible we get on the train and we're kind of left with this feeling that god is over there and he's like yeah he kind of loves us like on the outside but on the inside like he's slightly frustrated that we didn't do a little bit better with our reading or like our prayer life is like it could be a bit better and so you live with this like nagging feeling that god is out there like kind of happy because he has to be happy because he's god and he wrote that down in the bible so he's got to live up to his name but really deep down if you pressed him he'd like he'd he'd rather you were doing better in life you know that feeling like this nagging feeling like i look up at god and i don't i don't have nice feelings what happens is i like try and just bury my life in other stuff because i don't really want to deal with the fact that god the god who will judge all things he's like mm maybe slightly displeasured with me a lot of christians live like that this kind of sense like nagging sense you don't quite articulate it but it's like a heavy feeling so even things when charles is saying look there's this moment god the goodness of god is here this love is here and you think that's fine for some people it feels a bit over emotional to me but uh fine it's in the bible i suppose but it's not for you no it's not me jude says the key to you fighting for your discipleship in london is that you keep yourself in god's love 
that there's an awareness in your life that goes beyond just your head but that pervades your heart that God loves you the person sitting in your chair like you like not just the generic the church but you he loves you your fight as a Christian is to stay in that place knowing that God loves me (laughs) how does he love you let me just explain a few ways because Jesus says this incredible thing in John 15 he says as the father has loved me how does the father love Jesus that's a good question to ask in that same way Jesus he loves you the father loves Jesus perfectly infinitely overflowingly in that same way Jesus loves you we're told in Proverbs 8 that Jesus personified as this almighty maker of creation he says I stand daily before the Lord and he delights in me this is what he says he says then I was beside him like a master workman and I was daily his delight rejoicing before him always So this is Jesus in the Old Testament declaring that I stand before the Father and I was daily his delight. And Jesus says, as the same way that I am daily the Father's delight, so you stand before me daily, you are my delight. I realised I was prepping this morning, I was up early with Micah and we're in a coffee shop and I was just getting really, and I was like reading that, I was like, yeah, I haven't been aware of that this morning yet that I'm his delight I had to like recalibrate my thinking once again like no I've I've thought I've got a lot of things to do today I was very conscious of a lot of work that needs to happen I haven't stopped to consider that Jesus is delighting over me we're adopted into the family of God we're told Jesus is the son of God and when you become a Christian you don't get a list of things to do you get a status you're a son or a daughter of God you stand before the father now as an adopted part of the family so as insecure as you feel you are a co-equal with Jesus Jesus doesn't get like an extra VIP status his VIP status is now yours all access that Jesus has is now yours and you are in the family of God with Christ there is no different amen Caleb he loves you passionately the father said the one thing that i can do to give you a demonstration of my love is to give you my son to to send my son to you that he might be given over to a cross and jesus willingly goes to the cross and in the cross we have this declaration that we are once and for all loved by god that there is a no turning back love in God there is a no recanting no repenting love he has burnt all the bridges because his son has been crucified past tense 2000 years ago on that cross and has been raised to a brand new life in his resurrected new life he cannot go back on his love he will not repent he will not recount on his love he declares that he loves you in his son's death it is a passionate free love for you and me we can walk away we can walk out of his love we can walk out of the sense of his love but the father he continues to love you and the cross stands as a statement over your life forevermore that when you say yes to christ he loves you because he loves you because he loves you declared in the cross 
And we need to calibrate our thinking around the love of God for us. Because he says here, keep yourself, keep yourself in the love of God. Robert Murray McShane was a Scottish pastor. He died at the age of 29, but he had an amazing impact, not just on his city in Dundee, but beyond. And people would talk about his ministry as someone who had just a depth to him, that you would watch his preaching and it just, it was felt like an overflow of, of a devotion of God. A beautiful man by all accounts. And he began well, writing just letters and people would ask him, he'd gone to lots of correspondence writing. And there is one letter particularly that has caught people's attention because he says this, helping another Irishman, George Shaw, he says this, learn much of the Lord Jesus. This is for us, Trinity Church London. Learn much of him. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. So how many looks do you take at yourself? Every thought that you think, every going over Instagram, every like, has it, does anyone else go back on your own voice messages? Is anyone like, yeah, yeah. I realized it did that and someone says, oh, millennials, this is what they do. I was like, oh my goodness, I actually listen to my own voice messages sometimes. Like how introvertedly narcissistic have I become? Like just checking, I've communicated everything. He says, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. That's good pastoring right there. Every time you think of yourself, what's going on in my life, my insecurities, my sin, my relationships. Okay, I'm going to take 10 looks at Christ. Think about who he is. You'll be a happier person. He says, he is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace. And for all sinners, even the chief. And he says this, live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and rest or abide, we might say, in his almighty arms. Live much in the smiles of God. This is a vision that is much bigger for your life than just hoping to crack your Bible reading plan and maybe getting to pray every day. And if you can make it to community group, then you're really breaking even as a disciple. Then you could think, a lot of us think about that. Oh, how are you doing? Like my main concern, if I can read my Bible. Pray. This is a much bigger vision. Our vision is to live under the smiles of God. Like where, where, where are the smiles of God? I go to the Bible not to earn approval with God, but there I find God's favour over my life. I go to him in prayer because I find the, the smile of God. I, I come to church, not because that's what you have to do as a Christian, but I come to church because as I gather with God's people and we lift up our voices and we declare gospel truth, what we realise is the smile of God. I see him, I sense him, I feel him. So we're catching the smiles of God wherever we can go. This morning, as I said, uh, we were up early. Micah, for some reason at the moment, he wants to be up early at sunrise. I don't know why. That's just his thing at the moment. So we were up out of the house, like m much earlier than I wanted to. So we, 
down prepping at the black sheep coffee and it was cold this morning i don't know if you noticed like winter's on its way all day and uh we came out of the coffee shop and it's like it was warm inside it's cold outside and we're both like oh my goodness it's cold and micah just shouted the sun and sure enough like eastward it's coming just straight down stamford street the sun so he ran out of that into the sun he said dad look the sun it's warm and he's like this <laughs> so we walk in and then there was a bigger bit of sun so he ran over there and i thought what a wonderful illustration about living in the smiles of god because that's what it is to be a christian well like where, where are the smiles of god i'm gonna i'm gonna step into that place if that's where the sun is because you know when you, you sense the favor of god your your soul just relaxes yeah i'm loved by god he's smiling i thought he was upset with me why did i think he was upset with me again look at his he's delighting in me oh look over there bible reading i'm going to get into the bible because there i sense the love of god over my life i'm going to keep myself here i know that in church i the gospel gets preached and i get so i'm just going to step into the love of god here and i'm going to make sure i'm going to keep myself in his love wherever it is declared wherever it's pronounced wherever it's experienced there i am going to go this is our call on us this is our fight to keep ourselves in the, because if you have the smile of god in your heart if you know the pleasure of god over you you can face anything else you won't have to seek the smile or the approval of your culture or anyone else around you because you know i have the favor of god and it will strengthen you from the inside and you have strength to fight amen, amen. what i want to do is just unpack three things that that jude does for us in just how we do this it's actually quite this verse 20 to 22 is actually quite a nice little passage does anyone remember those terry's chocolate oranges it's quite an english thing i think does any non-english people know about terry's chocolate oranges no, no. <laughs> all right I, I have a feeling it's like a thing from the 80s or 90s i don't know if it's a anyway it's like a, it was it's a kind of a chocolate that was an orange like it's fairly simple but it's it tastes like orange chocolate but you had to like bang it like that and it kind of you banged it and then all the segments fell apart anyone with me like some one person like all right this isn't the main point of the sermon either so i don't know why i'm talking about this yeah bring one next week i should have bought one anyway this passage really breaks open like a terry's chocolate orange so that's all i was trying to say <laughs> it's not even the point of the sermon you're like what deep mystical truth are we getting into here it just popped into my head because there are four phrases in here four statements there's only one command so you just if you want to understand the bible you're trying to think where are the commands where are the doing words where are the prepositions it's like it's just it's not that difficult but the, the one thing to do is keep yourself in the love of god and there are three other doing phrases that sit around it that basically prop up this one thing that we have to do and these phrases really are telling us how we keep ourselves in the love of god how we remain how we find the son of the smile of god and keep ourselves there and there are these three phrases that these three segments that fall apart for us firstly this 
You, beloved Trinity Church London, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Number one. Two, praying in the Holy Sorry, praying in the Holy Spirit. And then three, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Here's three things. The first thing is this. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Jude here is using this analogy of us as the temple of God, like living stones being part of a building. And he's saying, just as you are part of this temple of God, the living temple of God now, not in Jerusalem, but in your flesh, as the gathered people, build yourselves up together into this temple. So as you gather, there is a strengthening that happens. So this is not a singular thing. So the pastor said, you must keep yourself in the love of God. So you go home and you do your spiritual exercise by yourself, flexing, hoping that you will grow and build yourself up. This is your building yourself up happened in the plural. It's building yourselves up. So as you gather together, and he says, how? In your most holy faith. The preposition there could be on. In or on doesn't actually change the meaning. But on is probably a clearer picture because it's this idea of there is this foundation on which the building is built. We are the building and there is this foundation. And we need to make sure that the foundation is strong in our life so that we might be able to be built up in him. What is this foundation? I can tell you what it's not. The foundation of our lives is not tips and how-tos on you know how to have a better diet and how to sleep better that's that's not what we're talking about all of those things are helpful and probably you should go to bed earlier yeah probably you should not drink so much caffeine and probably should eat more avocado sure like you should do all of those things but when someone shares their heart with you a community group and they like share their anxiety or their depression or like they're struggling with God to understand him or like, does he really love me? Like we need far more than tips. How, what you really need is to go to bed earlier because then you'll feel better. And like that's not what we build our life on. Paul says we build our life on the most holy faith, which is Jesus Christ and what he has done for you in Ephesians 2 Paul unpacks this says the foundation that we live on as a church is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone so what is it to build ourselves up it is to make sure that the foundation that our lives are being built on is Jesus Christ himself and nothing else so that when someone does share with you that I'm struggling with this or that with it how does the gospel and Jesus Christ help you in this moment what can I share from what I've read of the goodness of God in my life that will bless you and help you? How do we undergird your life with the foundation that is Jesus Christ? How can I take the 10 looks that I've taken of Christ and let them be your foundation in your life so that you might be built up and we together might be built up? It's radically different, amen? So let's not be tip givers. Well, maybe you can give a few tips. But let's not primarily be tip givers at Trinity Church London. May we be gospel foundation layers. May we build each other up in the most holy faith. I'm listening to a pastor recently and he, he split up 
conversations that we have into three parts, which I have found really helpful over the last month or so. So I want to give them to you. He said most of our conversations get split into three parts. He said the first part is like the shallows, which is like the banter. It's like talking about how good Chelsea are. It's talking about other bits of... <laughs> uh, untruth at the moment. But anyway, um, it's, just, it's just like the trivia. It's just the banter. It's just like the stuff you chat with someone and it's, it's all good stuff. It's like the weather, whatever it is. But like, it's the shallows. Like, we've got to do the banter. It's like you're connecting. You can't be like, hi, nice to meet you. My name's Daniel. How is your soul? No, you've got to like, like, what's going, like, what's going on? Like, you've got to... And then there's the middle part of our life that he talks about, which is just the stuff that we're doing. Like the good bits and the bad bits. It's our work, it's our relationships, it's our dating life. It's whatever is going on in, in our life. It's like, and they are big and important things that actually have a huge impact on who we are. That's not light or trivial. But he makes the point that we kind of spend most of our time in banter. And then every now and again, we dip into, and how, how are you doing? Work's okay things at home are a bit tough like whatever you know he says but there's actually a third part the deep part that we have to get to which is what's actually happening in our hearts what's going on like at a tectonic level in our lives beyond the work and beyond the family beyond that like what's happening down in the deep places and our conversation as a church has to at some point get to the deep places so that we might build ourselves up in the most holy faith. Our community groups at some point have got to get to the heart level of really how are we feeling. Okay, that's difficult, but how is your heart responding to that thing? Am I making sense? I know this is not easy and I know some of you might find this super awkward. But we have to try and go there if we're actually going to connect with God and one another and build ourselves up. Amen. So why don't you be a foundation layer in group? Why don't you be like, how should we ask that question about the heart thing? You're like, you might be asked to answer it first, which then gets really awkward if you haven't got any answers. But let's be foundation layers. Amen. That's the first way that we keep ourselves in the truth because otherwise our mind will get clouded with a lot of other stuff and not the reality of God's favour over our life. The second thing is this, he says, pray in the spirit. We are called not just to pray, he says, but pray in the spirit. I want to suggest three things that this means for us. The first thing is this, that we pray in a spiritual language, that we pray in tongues, that when we're together, that when we're in prayer meetings, that we actually, in a moment, pray in a transcendent language, in a spiritual language that transcends any other mother tongue that you might have, a language that you might not even know that you are articulating in the moment, but is from deep to deep in God, that is something from the deep places, from the heart, from the depth, from the tectonic places up into the heavens, you pray in the spirit if you haven't got this gift you can very simply ask him 1 corinthians 14 we're told eagerly desire these gifts that you might pray in the spirit that you might prophesy that you might speak in tongues 
So we pray in tongues. That's the first thing. The second thing is to do is we pray Bible verses because we know that the scriptures was inspired by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So that when you take even a passage like this, keep yourself in the love of God. You can take that very verse. If you're struggling to pray tomorrow morning, take that verse and tell God that you're struggling to understand it and use it to stir up your prayer life. Father, I'm struggling to understand. What does it mean to keep myself in the love of God? What does it mean for you to love me? I want to thank you that you love me. Please take me deeper into your love. So you take the Bible verses and turn them into prayer, knowing that as you do that, you are praying in line with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And the third thing to pray in the Spirit is this, I think, is praying until you are actually praying. So you can have a ship... I mean, I don't have a ship, but I, theoretically, one of us could have a ship for the purposes of this anal- analogy. You could have a ship, and if you kept it in the harbour, you're never going to catch sail with that ship. At the very least, you have to get the boat onto the seas, set the sails up, and wait for the wind to catch the, the sails, right? It's the same with prayer. You can't sit around and say, my, my prayer life is no good. Could you pray for my prayer life? So have you started praying at all this week? No, no, I'm, like, it's not very good at the moment. So I'm just going like, to wait for a zap to happen. Then I know when I feel good, I'll start really praying. Just like you have to put the boat into the seas and set sail, there is a, a sense in which when you pray, you have to just start praying. And you might think this feels awkward. It's terrible. My prayers aren't good. They don't feel theological. They don't sound like the people who pray out in church sound like. And you might feel like, but there comes a moment sometimes when you're praying where you suddenly realise that you're praying. It's a sense in which your prayers become like bolder than what you actually feel. You have those moments, like sometimes in a prayer meeting, you pray, I I sound like really bold, bolder than my heart feels. Suddenly my words become bigger than what I feel. Sometimes my faith becomes bigger. You had those moments, you just snapshots of those moments. That isn't you just getting emotional. That's actually something of the Spirit blowing into your heart, blowing through your words, blowing through your prayers and enlarging them so that you're praying in the Spirit. And you catch it for a moment, often with other people, and you pray. And we need to pray like that, praying until we pray. Because in those moments when we do this, when we pray in the Spirit, what happens is God's love ceases to just be academic Like, oh, he loves those people out there, but not me. I don't feel it. We're told that God's love is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So it's as we pray in the Spirit that we experience his love personally for us. So I know now, no, in my soul, the smile of God, he looks on my life and he smiles over me. So I've been praying in the Spirit and I sense him now. I feel him. There is something of his love on my heart. Amen. If you struggle with this, the simplest thing to do is get yourself to a prayer meeting. If you can just get your body to a prayer meeting, at least the peer pressure will keep you praying for a bit. And you may just sense something of the spirit. Say, I think I spent a moment there praying in the spirit. That's not like I'm just literally for myself. That's what I would do. Like I just need to get myself there because I know when I'm there, I will be doing the stuff. The third thing is this, that we wait We wait eagerly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Waiting for his mercy that leads to eternal life. This is this not passive waiting. Like, well, the Bible says wait, so 
let me fire up that Netflix subscription once again and wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, waiting in the New Testament is this working waiting. It's this eager waiting. It's that I'm busy about the kingdom, about my work, about my family and prayer. But I'm waiting eagerly for that day when Jesus Christ is going to return. Because we need to be more aware of the validation of God that will one day come to us, that when we meet him face to face, however many rejections you've had for jobs, however many people have said no in a dating relationship, however many fractured relationships, however disapproval you think you have, if you know that the Lord, judge of all, is going to come and he says to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. If you know that one day you're going to see Jesus face to face and see delight on his face, everything else will become less important in your life you will have a resolve in your life to say I know I might get disapproval in this life but I know I'm going to see Christ face to face one day and he says I love you more than that there is this emotional delight that I have in your life if we don't have this fixed awaiting that is fixed in our mind for the coming of Jesus Christ, what will happen is we will sink into the culture that we live in and our boss's opinion and our work's opinion and our culture's opinion and our family's opinion, all of these things will become so important to us that they begin to crush us because there is no other love that is unconditional like God's love. Every other love is fragile and conditional. But when we live under the unconditional love of God and in his smiles, all of the conditional love that get placed on us in this life, they're like, no, I can give it, take it or leave it. I've, I've got God, he's coming for me. My name is Daniel. And the reason I say that, as you know that, is because it means in Hebrew, God is my judge. And I'm so, I'm so grateful for my name. Because it's just this reminder to me that like the Lord, he judges me. And it's just reminded me to like, just wait, wait for the Lord. Like wait for his face. Because a moment seeing Christ's face will make everything okay. So church, keep yourselves in the love of God. Amen. Amen. This is our fight this year. And I want to urge us with a strong resolve in our hearts and a clear vision for who we are going to be to keep ourselves in the love of God. Some of you might not be Christian here today. You've just been invited along by a friend. You might have felt like, actually, I'm outside of this. Becoming a Christian is not becoming a moral person. It's recognizing the extent to which God has loved us in Jesus Christ, who was crucified for you because God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit loved you. And that he wants to draw you into himself so much so that Christ willingly lost, lost the Father's love so that you might gain it. And as he gets resurrected, you get resurrected to new life into this fellowship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.